If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Judges. I'm going to read different bits, but probably chapter 15 is what you want to have open. And if you're regularly here, you'll know we're in this series um, based in Samson. Any of you seen the film Bugs Life? It's great, isn't it, Bugs Life? It's 20 years old now, I realize, frighteningly. But if you you know the story, then you'll know the story. But if you don't know the story, it's a story of an ant colony ruled by a biker gang-like bunch of grasshoppers. Whoever thinks these things up, I I don't know. And every year the ant colony is expected to harvest food for the grasshoppers and their leader, Hopper, demands that they pay him full. But there's one ant called Flick. Flick is an inventor whose inventions usually do more harm than good. He invents a mechanical harvester to make the ant's life easier. The trouble is he only manages to cause disaster when his machine falls on all the food they've already collected, knocking it into a stream. Hopper and his grasshopper gang threaten Flick's colony and demand they find the food by the end of the season. No quarter given. Flick only makes things worse by trying to stand up to Hopper. So Hopper demands that they double the amount of food that they have to collect by the end of the season. Flick is determined to find a solution. He goes off and tries to recruit warrior bugs. It's great, isn't it? But the ant colony has got so used to being ruled by the grasshoppers that it works even harder to collect the harvest that Hopper demands. Flick is considered dangerous, an ant who only makes things worse. This is the way things are. We collect food for the grasshoppers, and if we pay them, they leave us alone, always. Flick, it seems, is the only ant who has not become comfortably numb to the situation and can see the possibility that things could, in fact, change. The film tells the story of what happens when one ant is not content to be comfortably numb, but who embraces the possibility that things can change. I highly recommend it on a rainy afternoon such as today. The Philistines were a nomadic sea people originally from Greece who had settled on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They settled there around the same time the Israelites did. They had settled in the land allotted by Joshua to the tribes of Judah and Dan. The Philistines were a rough, tough people, many of whom were mercenaries fighting against Egypt. They were more sophisticated militarily than Israel. They had iron swords. Israel only had bronze swords. And in Joshua, uh, Judges chapter 1, verse 19, we read this. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. They they wore headdresses into battle. They sailed boats that doubled as a battering rams. Goliath is their most famous son. They were a sea people rather than a nation. They defeated the Canaanite cities of Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. They built the cities of Gath, where, of course, you know, is where Goliath was from. And they built the city of Ekron. Ekron ruled Timnah, the area where Samson would grow up. People were terrified of the Philistines. Goliath breathed fear into the entire army of Israel. And Saul, King Saul, and you can read this in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel if you don't believe me. King Saul took his own life, fell on his own sword, rather than be captured fighting in battle against the Philistines 
And when the Philistines found his dead body on the battlefield, they cut off his head and they hung his body from the city wall. They worshipped Dagon, who it seems loved the blood of human sacrifice. And here's a frightening statement or a beautiful statement. People become like the God they worship. Samson grew up in the shadow of constant fear and threat. His parents lived in Zora, an outpost settlement on the dangerous front line with the Philistines. They lived just about two miles from Ekron. By the time Samson was born, Israel had become strangely comfortably numb to the threat of the Philistines, the threat of depriving Israel of a God-given inheritance, the land that he had promised them. They'd never quite inherited it. But this was the way things were. It had been this way for decades. People had begun to believe that there was no possibility of change. They had become comfortably numb. Faith had given way to frustration, frustration to resignation, resignation that this is just the way it is. And when faith turns to resignation, we forget to pray. And no one in Israel was praying. When faith gives way to resignation, there is no need of repentance. When faith gives way to resignation, hearts become hard. And hard hearts lead us to hopelessness. There was a hopelessness in Israel because they had become comfortably numb. And when we become comfortably numb, when nothing changes and we see no possibility of change, we don't pray anymore, do we? We don't dare lest we become disappointed one more time. And I'm wondering if I am describing something of a process that you recognize in your heart this morning. Maybe you were there one time, maybe you're there right now. Israelite children were born and brought up in the knowledge that the Philistines were in charge. Memories of times when things had been different, when God was present, were long gone. Names like Deborah, the mighty warrior princess, were just a story. We know this is true because the story tells us. Judges chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave near the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Samson is considered dangerous for challenging the the Philistines because the Israelites have become comfortably numb. Don't you realize they rule over us? 
Don't you know that's the way it is? They had become to believe that this was simply the way things are, and I'm wondering if that's true of you. And um, sometimes I get really, really challenged by what I write. And just for the record, this sermon really, really challenged me to the point where I didn't actually want to get up and give it. So here's another challenging question. How much of God's bigger and far better story has faded into a memory, a long-gone experience, perhaps even a fairy tale in your life? I'm wondering if you, like me, have found yourself believing that that's just the way things are and is, in truth, the way things will always be. I wonder if you, like the Israelites of Samson Day, have got to the place where you are simply resigned to the way things are. I wonder if the story of the Israelites facing the Philistines is your story right here and right now. I wonder if you find yourself living their story, which might be summarized like this. You are just to survive. You are just to survive. I wonder if you, like them, have made friends with defeat because this is the way things are. I wonder if you, like them, find yourself settling for sameness. I wonder if, as a church, we struggle with this too. I once remember, I remember speaking to my friend Chris Skilton, um, who was the curate in the church I grew up in, the guy that took me to Nevin, and I asked him, I said, what's the hardest thing in church, Chris? Oh, that's easy. Didn't even have to think about it. He said, people who don't want to change. I wonder how many of us, and I thought about this carefully when I wrote it, I wonder how many of us could not bring ourselves to embrace the 24-7 prayer week because in truth, we didn't want to be disappointed again when God remains silent or distant or nothing really happens. And I simply ask you to examine your heart, friends. Why would you not want to join in? Maybe that's part of the reason. I wonder if in truth, like Israel, you, I, have become comfortably numb. Maybe one of the most powerful tactics the enemy has is that of a drift to becoming comfortably numb. We don't deliberately set out to be resigned or hopeless, do we? I've never met anyone who's done that deliberately. But life circumstances, the shadow of fear, our own fallen, flawed human nature wears us down. In truth, we walk away from God one step at a time. Friends, think for a moment of those things that you know draw you away from God, those things you think you can't change. I have that lovely picture that was given to me last week. Blessed are the plodders. Now, I identify with that. It, it makes my heart sing, but it also makes me do this. Blessed are the plodders, people like me. Really? 
I certainly don't feel blessed a lot of the time. The sin that you keep going back to, however much you wish it were different. You know, the tragedy of being comfortably numb is that we think we, what we think we can't change ultimately becomes a stronghold. And strongholds have a way of shouting at us that we cannot change, that we cannot win, that we cannot overcome. The Philistines' most famous son, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you, you will be very familiar with this part of the story. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's what strongholds do. So how are you doing, friends? I'm wondering where you find yourself in this story. I'm wondering, friends, if a bit like a little bit of honest, deep self-examination might be a good thing. Israel has become comfortably numb, and Israel has forgotten God's bigger and far better story. But God is not asleep. And God has other plans for Israel. And God has set in motion the extraordinary in the ordinary. Even though the Israelites are comfortably numb, God is about to step in. The name Samson, or Shimson as it's sometimes written, means little son, spelled S-U-N, little son. When Israel is asleep, comfortably numb, God sends an angel to a barren young wife to say she will bear a son, S-O-N. This little son will bring light into the darkness. God is on the move. Does that remind you of anything? Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. You might recognize these words. For some reason, we only seem to ever read them at Christmas, but I'm going to read them today. John, chapter 1, verse 5. In, in him, uh, sorry, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to the world, to everyone, was coming into the world. The darkness cannot put out the light, and the light still shines. God is still at work in the darkness. Perhaps the question is, is anybody noticing? I'm wondering if God is on the move in your life, shining his light into your darkness, and I'm wondering, are you noticing? 
I find it quite interesting and very challenging to ask the question, if Samson ever really knew or understood what he had called to begin was the deliverance of Israel. The evidence from the stories is maybe he never quite grasped that. Samson, it seems, mostly uh, seems to abuse his great strength, doesn't he? He seems mostly to use his strength to escape capture or to seek revenge. He thought it fun to tell lies about the source of his strength. Oh, bind me with vines, that'll do it. Oh, tie my hair to a weaver's loom, that'll do it. Oh, look, I escaped. But Samson was called to be different. He was called to be a Nazarite, to be set apart. A Nazarite would abstain from alcohol, but Samson threw drinking parties. Perhaps Samson resented a vow that was made on his behalf before he was even born. Maybe Samson just wanted to be like everybody else. But he was called to be different. Actually, even his own people, Israel got fed up with him and eventually handed him over to the Philistines, remember that? And they never rallied to his call, the call that he never actually gave. But he was called to be different. Perhaps Samson never quite grasped that he was called to be different. Or maybe he ignored it. Or maybe he just treated it lightly. One scholar said, Samson seems totally oblivious to what God was trying to do through him. Samson seems oblivious to what God was trying to do through him. Samson's vows seemed like empty vows. But Samson was in truth called to be a stranger, one who stood out from the crowd. A little sun shining in the darkness. His hair was a sign of him being set apart, being different. It was a sign of his strength. But his true strength came from the breath of God within him. When Samson's hair was cut, Samson would become one of the crowd, no longer different. How about you, friends? We are called to be different. Strangers and aliens, Peter writes. Set apart to follow Christ. You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. You are, as a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. And here's a philosophically difficult question because I've written, have you lost your saltiness? But you know the thing about salt is it never actually loses its saltiness. But maybe as Christians, we do. How about you? Have you become comfortably numb? You are the light of the world, said Jesus. You are, as a Christian, you are. Is your light hidden? Have you become comfortably numb? When Samson was born, God's light began to shine again into the darkness of Israel's slumber. The light shone again in Jesus and the darkness has never put it out. And God longs for his light 
to shine again in you. We are not called to settle down and to fit in, friends. We are called to be different, bearers of God's bigger and far better story, but we can become comfortably numb. In Samson's day, God was on the move. I think he's still on the move today. The question is, what will you do? Maybe quietly in your hearts as we just prepare to share this meal together, you would ask God to shine his light into your heart this morning.